Shalom. Welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein, and I have the privilege of being your host, coming to you from the Judean mountains here in Israel. I like to refer to it as the original Bible Belt. Inspiration from Zion is a program of the Genesis 1-2-3 Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. I pray that you will find this, all of those. Through this program, we are excited to be connecting you to people and stories in and related to Israel to give you a window to look through about aspects of life here that you might not otherwise know about. We want this to be interactive, so please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and send along any questions and any comments at any time about any topic. And also, please feel free to share this with people who you know who will also find it of interest. Today, I'm really pleased to introduce and host a special guest and a good friend. Bishop Glenn Plummer was appointed as Bishop of Israel by the Church of God in Christ as the the largest black church in the world with some six and a half million members. He and his wife and, and partner in ministry, Dr. Ruth Pauline Plummer, arrived in Israel in September of 2020. They immediately jumped into becoming part of Israeli society engaging new and old friends, doing media interviews, and being under lockdown with the rest of us during the pandemic. The historic decision of the Church of God in Christ leadership to appoint Dr. Plummer as the first bishop of Israel in in then the church's 113-year history and the first Christian denomination to appoint a bishop to Israel was significant. Bishop Plummer is a veteran leader of the pro-Israel community visiting and hosting trips in Israel more than 20 times. In 2006, he founded the Fellowship of Israel and Black America, which has since extended its mission to include the Ethiopian Israeli community. Recently, he was also recognized as one of Israel's top 50 Christian allies. Bishop Plummer has been a central figure in the growth of Christian television in America. He created three national TV networks, built five broadcast uh, built five broadcast television stations and has been hosted and has hosted, excuse me, two acclaimed daily TV shows. He is the only African American to have served as the chairman and chief executive officer of the National Religious Broadcasters. On a more personal note, other than his accomplished career and the significance of his being here in Israel, over the past two years, I've been blessed to develop a warm friendship with Bishop Plummer and to have spent lots of time together with him and including our respective wives. I have hosted him a few times on previous Inspiration from Zion webinars that were truly outstanding and insightful and can testify personally how he's really doing an incredible job building bridges on his end, especially to us Israeli Jews with Black America. I'm excited to welcome him back to Inspiration from Zion as our first podcast episode Bishop Plummer, it's a delight to have you back. Welcome. Well, thank you so much, Jonathan, and it's a delight uh, for me as well to be with you. You indeed are a friend, uh, you and your wife, uh, Lori, and, and, and your children, and uh, we've been over each other's homes, and uh, so it is really an honor and a delight as well. Thank you. Well, it, it is mutual. Today we're jumping into something. This week we observe Mar- uh, Martin Luther King Day. And today we're jumping into something that I, I said to you just before we, we record. 
I know it's important. It's so important, the conversation we're going to have. And I just pray that this is something that people will listen to and take to heart. When I think of Dr. King, even just speaking now, I get tremendously emotional. When I listen to his speeches, I'm inspired, but I'm so sad. I'm so sad that he was, that he was murdered, uh, at all, much less as young as he, as he, uh, as he was. He remains a tremendous moral compass in our lives. And it's hard to imagine that it's been over 50 years since he were, since he was murdered. And that if he were alive today, not only might he still be very vigorous at, at age 92, but we would have had 50 more years of Dr. King's voice of his, of his moral compass guiding us and, and, and not just us personally, but, but the world. If we could have had that privilege, I think it would have been astounding to think about what could have been done, what would have been done in the, in that more than 50 years that, that sadly exceeded his entire life, which I guess underscores how much more of a significant presence he had during his life. Bishop Plummer, I'm curious from your own personal perspective, before we get into a more broad perspective of Dr. King and Israel, what are your personal memories of Dr. King that, that you have? And how is he a role model? How was he a role model then? And how is he a role model today still in your life? Well, my mother and father, who are yet alive now and doing very well, living in Hampton, Virginia, uh, he was in their generation. So they were about the same age, actually. I think he may be like two or three years older than my father. Uh, and so at the time of his death, I was I had just had my 13th birthday. And as many of us uh, know, you know, turning 13 is a big deal. You know, we become uh, teenagers in the, in the uh, non-Jewish world. But even in the Jewish world, turning 13 is a big deal as well. And so there's a par mitzvahs and there's, a, you know, uh, all forms of uh, celebration turning 13. I had just turned 13 years old and we were living in Germany at the time. Uh, my, my family, my mom and dad and my brother and sister. And, and uh, uh, I, we had heard the news that he had been assassinated. And so I was a 13-year-old young black American living in Germany. Uh, and the news had gotten to us right away. And I remember the impact it had specifically on my parents. Uh, it really, really rocked them. And, you know, I was still a kid, and so I didn't fully understand and appreciate, you know, his death uh, and his life prior to that. And so as I reflect on my personal memory, it really kind of begins a few years prior to that, of course, in the United States. But I had been traveling, so my 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 parents, my dad worked for the, uh, the United States government. So we, you know, we lived in Tripoli, Libya for a few years. We were in uh, in Europe. We lived in uh, Germany, particularly for about seven years. So that was during one of those times when I was living, you know, outside the United States. So the impact of his death wasn't uh, instant for me. But you know, by the time we got the news, which was I'm sure moments later, it did have a profound impact on this black American family living in Germany at the time. I would not know at that time um, how his life would somewhat parallel uh, my own a, a number of years later. But, you know, when I reflect on him, Jonathan, he wasn't even 40 when he died. Right. He wasn't even 40 right. years old. And, uh, and uh, sometimes we forget you know, the impact that young people in their 30s and 20s wow. 
can have on an entire culture and an entire wow. civilization. And he, he, his life is an example of that. Wow. You know that, wow, that I, I was not prepared for that comment. Um, you kind of got me and it's going to, I think, lead to where I want to maybe try to wrap up the conversation, but how beautiful that you said that because not just was he a model, but yeah, that, that, that shows what, how much a person can accomplish while they're young. And, yeah. and he, you know, it's funny because he was very young looking, but I think of him as being a man much older than I, I am now. And, and that's not the case. He no. didn't, he, not even close. And, no. and, and, and but, but the maturity, the wisdom, the, the, the presence he commanded, everything about him was that of somebody who had decades more wisdom in life experience. Um, when, he, when he first came to Israel, Jonathan, he was but 30 years old. In fact, I don't know that he had his 30. I think he had just had his 30th birthday when he came to 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 Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, we can talk about that in a little bit. But uh, so, yeah, when you know, when you think about um, Dr. Martin Luther King, and he was indeed doctor. He was a, earned PhD. He was a very right. educated man. Uh, and, but he was a young man, very young, yeah. and just getting out of his 20s when he first came to Israel. And then before he was out of his 30s, he was assassinated. Yep. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, this week, because of the anniversary of his birth, um, many people will reflect on Dr. King and his messages um, and, and his absence, like we are. Um, but I'd like to approach it uniquely, considering the fact that we, you and I are both here in Israel for almost a year and a half now. You've yeah. been here in Israel as the first bishop of Israel from the Church of God in Christ. And and the fact that you're representing the first Protestant denom uh, denomination to have a leader here in Israel like you are. So I'd like to take some time to talk about Dr. King. You mentioned him coming to Jerusalem. I'd like to talk about Dr. King and his relationship to Israel um, historically, theologically. But first, I'd like to take a look at a more contemporary issue um, and look through the prism of Dr. King's view on Israel, but how Israel is looked at today. You know this, we've talked about it. In the past two decades, maybe more than two decades, there's been a growing accusation of Israel being an apartheid state. Most recently, we also spoke about this, uh, there were wide calls in South Africa to even including among the government to pressure and bully Miss South Africa, Miss South Africa from not participating in the recent Miss Universe pageant that took place here in December. Now, I don't know what Dr. King thought about, I mean, I can guess, or how he addressed the actual apartheid of South Africa, but you live here and Israel, you're not only not a stranger, you're one of us and you've been here dozens of times from your perspective. When we talk about Israel laying out the foundation and people will use Dr. King's words in malicious ways, what's your perspective on why Israel, why it's, a, why it's disingenuous, if not dishonest, to refer to Israel as an apartheid state? When Dr. King, uh, Jonathan, gave his most uh, famous speech, I Have a Dream, on an August afternoon in 1963 on the Washington Mall, he was 33 years old. He was 33 years old. When I was 33 years old, I went to uh, 
I was invited. I was I was a part of an eight person. All eight of us were African American uh, leaders. I was thirty three, and we were invited by the white South African government to come to South Africa. I was a Christian broadcaster. I was pretty active in the NRB. I hadn't reached the level of of, uh, of leadership at that point that I ultimately did. Uh, but the South African, the, so the white apartheid regime was in power. Uh, and it was 1988. Nelson Mandela was still in prison. Wow. Uh, on, on Robbins Island. And, and myself and seven other black Americans were invited by the white apartheid South African government to come there, okay? So this is my frame of reference to answer your question, okay? It's in extraordinary. Term, in terms of, so, and, and the point I want to make simply is that I saw apartheid as a black American. I was there, but I was there uniquely invited by the white uh, uh, South African uh, government to try and show us. We were broadcasters, and they wanted to make the point that it wasn't that bad. They wanted to make the point that, you know, they wanted to show us around and let us see what the, 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 the living condition was. And they assumed that, you know, we who were black evangelical uh, broadcasters would come there and see, and, you know, we'd be taken by the beauty of South Africa, which, by the way, it's, it's, it's probably one of the most beautiful spots on the earth, certainly the very tip of the of the African continent, which is Cape Town, has got to be Jonathan. I don't know if you've been there before. No, but it it is it is spectacular. You have two oceans coming together. Uh, you have seals and rocks and mountains. It's just absolutely it's it's breathtaking. It's just stunning, and and uh, and so I'm sure they assumed that we would come there and we would you know write or broadcast how beautiful it is and it's not as bad. It's, it's kind of like when people come to Israel and they hear all these horrible things about Israel and yes. then they come to Israel and they see, wow, this is not anything like what I had assumed, the pictures that I had in my head. Uh, well, that's to uh, our benefit as it relates to Israel. That's to Israel's benefit. And, and so uh, uh, presumably that's what they thought our, our, our uh, reaction would be. Uh, I saw apartheid. And, and, you know, they had four, it was, it was cut up into four groups of people. One was the blacks. They were at the bottom of the pole. And, and in each one of these four areas, this is where people could live. And if you weren't a part of that racial group of people, you could not live there. You could not even walk in those communities without permission. Right. You had to have, you know, governmental written uh, permission to even enter into these communities, and so the bottom of the of the uh, group was blacks. The next group up, they were called coloreds. These were people who were a result of integration. They were either black and whites uh, uh, people who had who had children, or even the Indian people uh, right. were the third group who who had uh, children with with blacks or coloreds. So these coloreds, they had their own place, and they were a step up from the blacks. And then you had the Indians. And others, people from India, uh, okay. and they had their own, and they were primarily the the business, the shop owners, 
you know, they, they were, uh, and so they had their own place in the uh, South African uh, culture. Uh, and, and, and then you had the whites. So you had whites, top, and they had their own place to live, their own communities, and you had the Indians, and then you had the coloreds, and then you had the blacks. There's no place like that in Israel. And so to really understand apartheid, you've got to really appreciate and understand what South Africa really had. And so I find it not only disingenuous to those people who lived apartheid to now say Israel is apartheid, but it's just blatant, uh, blatantly false. It's just not true. It is absolutely uh, 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 untrue to say that Israel is an apartheid uh, state. Uh, Arabs and and uh, uh, and uh, Jews and Christians and people who are from Yemen, people who are from Morocco, people who are from Ethiopia, people who are from India, people who right. are from Europe, people who are from uh, Nigeria, by the way, and people who are from Sierra Leone, the people who are from uh, various, I don't know, probably at least a dozen African countries in South Tel Aviv. These people there now, there may be some controversy surrounding them, but my point is that there is not an apartheid uh, system here. Correct. Now, they will, I think, now, is there racism here? Unfortunately, Jonathan, I've experienced it already, and so there is racism here. But the racism here is not just color-based. There is, you know, if you ask the Ethiopian Jews, they will say, well, yeah, and, and they've, you know, especially the Ethiopian younger generation, they've been protesting and doing some things against that, and, and they feel a racial uh, 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 discrimination, particularly from the ultra-Orthodox Jewish community, because okay. they will say they're not even Jews. And so uh, there's many, you know, ultra-Orthodox uh, right. people who, for, for a long time, that was kind of the whole position. Now, they've softened it a bit, and some have been accepting but the point is that uh, the, the, the racial division here is not just race-based. Uh, it's not just Palestinians and, 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 and Jews. Right. Uh, it's, all, it's all ethnicities. And unfortunately, in many societies, people have, there's a, it, even an informal hierarchy that people feel uh, that people feel that they're better than. I, I remember anecdotes my, uh, you know this, my grandparents came to Israel in the 1930s from Poland and being white Ashkenazi Jews, they, I remember, I'll never forget this, before my grandmother died, she always, she told me when I was coming here in 1987, she, she was living in America then, she had been in America for 40 plus years at the time, and she said, watch out for the Moroccans. Now the Moroccans, it wasn't, it wasn't so much a racial or ethnic thing, but the Moroccan immigration came all in the late 40s and 50s, and there were a quarter of a million Moroccan Jews who emigrated at that time. And there was a large, there were there were social economic conflicts as a result of that. So she, from the from, from her perspective, looked down on Moroccans, and surely the Moroccans looked down on others. And it's it's not a perfect society, but I'm glad that you've underscored that it is that mixed mixed multi-ethnic society it's it saddens me that you've experienced racism i've experienced racism not but toward me experience but but wait a minute i've experienced racism in the united states uh so 
I, I told you, I lived in, in Germany for years. I was a German exchange student. I spoke fluent German. I can, I can wow. speak it pretty good now. Ich habe in Deutschland gewohnt uh, sieben Jahre. <laughs> uh, I just said I lived in Germany for seven years. Ich war ein Austauschstudent. I was an exchange student. Wow. And in Germany, people thought that black people had tails like monkeys. Yeah. And so when I was an exchange student, and, and by the way, they thought Jews had horns, which is the reason why yeah. Jewish people wear, men wear the kippahs, because they honestly thought that you guys had, had little goat horns in, in, coming out of your head. and that I we, encountered that in the 1980s. I went to Emory University, not a, not a shabby uh, uh, private university, and I, and I met people in college in the 1980s for whom I was the first Jew and they were looking for my horns. And Not, I, yeah, well, yeah. the reason why I bring that up is while in Germany, I would live in towns, because I was an exchange student, I would live in towns where there was no American. Forget black, there were no Americans. Right. I would right. be the only American kid living with the my, my Jewish, I mean, my uh, my my uh, a German uh, 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 counterpart. I'd be living in his house and we'd live, you know, for a couple of weeks and he'd come to live with us. I had people look at me when I was walking down the street. Older Germans would stop like frozen and, and look to see if I had the monkey tail coming out the back. When wow. I wow. Now, I bring that up to say, but we don't say that Germany is an apartheid state. Uh, Ooh, and, excellent. And, and, and there is racism there. Here in Israel, uh, what really has sad in my heart is not just the divide between Jews and Gentiles, but even among Jews. Uh, yes. There is. Jewish communities that that don't even recognize, for example, the Reform Jewish movement, uh, and I've heard people say they're not even Jews, or the Messianic uh, uh, Jewish movement, they're not even Jews. Okay, and so right. you have, you have, you have. So, but that's not apartheid. You understand? That's discriminate. That's something else. That, it's that's a, it's something a human. Else. It's a human frailty of discrimination, and and uh, and, and and unfortunately. We are, despite being chosen and called and, and, and we're living here as part of God's promise to return us, in many ways as human beings, we're not better than anyone else. And, well, and, and that's, uh, that's the reason I only bring this up in light of the South African government claiming that Israel is an apartheid state, pressuring the young woman who was Miss South Africa yeah. not to come here. And to her credit, she came anyway. I was, I was pulling for her to win so it would be a bigger story. Uh, but right. <laughs> uh, 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 India made it. But um, my point is that the South African government, the party that really kind of leads that charge is the ANC. Yes. These people, these people themselves discriminate against Christians. And right. so uh, discrimination, you know, unfortunately, as you say, is a human problem. And yeah, so yeah. to label Israel as apartheid state because there is discrimination or racism uh is just unfair. It's not true. And I am one voice that, uh, and, and by the way, we start a program called Kings and Bishops, where we're now aggregating uh, tribal kings, tribal chiefs in Africa. It's, we, we began this project in South Africa. Uh, we, have, we have probably a dozen South African kings. These are tr the wow. traditional leaders. And we, Church God in Christ, we have seven jurisdictions. So we've already had Zoom call conferences discussing our, you know, uh, some projects, some very public projects that we're going to have uh, in South Africa 
to address this problem that uh, to route because most Christian uh, churches, most Christian people, certainly in our denomination, we have millions of people in Africa, um, uh, are pro-Israel. We people they love Israel. Okay, yeah. I'm talking about just love Israel. And we want to uh, now give platform to this. So we're bringing together kings and bishops to, to be able to bring leadership uh, to Amazing. this, to resist this this false uh, claim of the now South African government that Israel is an apartheid state. It's just... Well, I, 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 I appreciate all of that. And, and it's important to underscore it as we, as we go back toward uh, to Dr. King. But there's one thing that has always struck me vis-a-vis the, um, uh, the, the, the slander of calling Israel an apartheid state, is that as imperfect as Israel is, one doesn't make it more perfect by using a false and egregious analogy, much less one that dismisses the actual suffering that you witnessed in South Africa that existed for decades yeah. upon decades of, of discrimination in every facet of life. And, and, I'm, and I'm sure that that, was was something that was uh, Dr. King was aware of, um, but Dr. King lived in a different time and a different level of discrimination, post slavery, but still yeah. fighting for civil rights. Um, he but was my, a religious but my point. But my point, Jonathan, before we get totally away yeah. from this, myself as a thirty three year old black American, yeah, age that King was when he gave the I Have a Dream speech, I went there and I saw, saw firsthand apartheid. And that's why I can say with passion, for sure, that, uh, this that's not what's happening in Israel. Right, right. So, I, and 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 the and and by the way, the South African government knows this. These were men and these were people who lived through apartheid. Good and point. I think it is it is disingenuous. I think it is dishonest for them to say uh, that apartheid exists in in uh, great in, point. Here. Because uh, they know that isn't true because they lived it. I saw it myself up close, and that's why I can speak with authority that that's not what's happening in Israel. Thank you. That's astounding. So let, let's let's jump back to Dr. King. Yep. Um, he was many things: a religious leader, a moral voice, an advocate for uh, a, a, of nonviolence. Uh, obviously, a Nobel Prize winner, so deserving. Um, and and from my perspective, I'm, uh, one of the top orators ever. Um, yeah. yes. ever. I'm, uh, maybe there were, maybe there are a handful of others. Um, and much more. But he was, he was also a product of the black church. He, yeah. um, and, and was a leader in the black church. Can you discuss the significance before we talk about modern Israel, the significance of the Exodus, the biblical Exodus on the black church and how that would have shaped Dr. King's worldview and theology? One of the things, well, first of all, he was a black, Baptist preacher, uh, not a ba- black Pentecostal preacher. And okay. uh, there is a little nuance difference there because um, Pentecostal, uh, Pentecostalism in general, black, white, Asian, European, uh, whatever, takes the very Pentecostal experience from the book of Acts, the New Testament, uh, and and the movement that's happened, you know, in uh, the United States uh, at the turn of the 19th century, uh, at the turn of the 20th century, in uh, 1900s, um, uh, is a New Testament phenomena. It's a it's a New Testament phenomena. The Black Baptist Church, which are generally non-Pentecostal, um, they preach 
Old Testament Hebrew Bible stories with enormous effectiveness, accuracy, and make the connections so well. So a black Baptist preacher, uh, for the most part, for the most part, and I know I'm, I'm kind of uh, putting, I'm not putting them all in a box, but I'm saying black Baptist preachers preach the, the, the Hebrew Bible. They preach the Old Testament stories. And, 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 and the reason is because there's so much uh, analogy. There's so much connection. There's so, so many um, uh, of stories that line up with our experience uh, as people in a country that didn't want us and, and mistreated us. And so the Jewish story, the Jewish experience of leaving from Africa, by the way, they were in, yes. they were in Africa for hundreds of years. Uh, and, and, and when they first came, they were celebrated. You know, Joseph was a prime minister. Uh, so the Jewish people initially were, were like, it was fantastic. They were all part of the culture. But as the scripture says, another Pharaoh rose who knew not Joseph. Right. <laughs> and he, you know, he changed the whole e equation. And so what happened is that as Israel left uh, a, an oppressive uh, slavery-based uh, uh, system, uh, they came to a country and the people who were living here didn't like them either and right. were fighting against them. So, so there was this mindset in the Israeli, in the ancient Israeli uh, worldview uh, that, um, you know, we, us, our people, uh, the Jewish people, we have to, you know, defend ourselves. And, and, and the God, our God, the God of Israel is leading us. Well, black Americans took the same. So the, so King, whether it was King himself or whether it's other Baptist preachers, other black Pentecostal preachers, it's it's the black american experience and so but but king dr king was um he was famous for being able to take a an old testament story and and turn that into a current modern uh analogy and 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 it just riveting to the group so that, that he's speaking to so so he was a great uh, orator a great preacher but he preached the bible and that distinguished him by the way in his day from Elijah Muhammad, from Malcolm X, who did not preach the Bible, and they were, you know, they were uh, challenging Black America also uh, during the civil rights era. But Dr. King, he distinguished himself as a Bible scholar, uh, as a as a uh, uh, an Old and New Testament preacher, but particularly uh, he was a Baptist preacher, and so because of that, he uh, he had a certain rhythmic. Uh, uh, presentation uh, that's 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 consistent with Baptist preachers, and uh, and uh, uh, now it's kind of consistent with most black preachers in a sense. But the black Baptist preacher, and I want to just I'll, I'll stop there. But the black Baptist preacher has a has a cadence, has a a rhythm uh, to to their presentation that Dr. King himself uh, also had, and. Uh, uh, but he he preached the Bible. He preached the the, the Hebrew Bible as we would call it here in Israel. And as a result, <coughs> excuse me, um, uh, you know he saw the value of the relationship between the Jewish people, the the Israeli people, and the Black American people. And he always made 
the analogies. So that that's actually, thank you for that. That actually leads to another question that I had, because right now, especially at this time, all of social media feeds are going to be filled with pictures of Dr. King taking quotes. And, and thank God there are many of them. And, and people overlay the quotes over, over beautiful pictures of Dr. King, uh, or, or, or put them above the picture, below the picture, creating memes, advocating any number of social or religious, uh, causes, um, that, that presumably cor- correctly would gain credence by being associated with words of Dr. King. And I'm always inspired at this time that we see at least certain I'm Jewish, my social media gets filled up with pictures of Dr. King and his support of the modern state of Israel and the significance of biblical Israel. Would it be fair to call Dr. King a Zionist? And if so, why? Uh, the short answer is absolutely. Dr. King was a staunch supporter of Israel. He stood with and in support of the state of Israel unashamedly. And by the way, he was not ashamed to stand in support of Israel. Let me, I want to read a quote of why I would say he was a Zionist, because he actually coined the definition, by the way, of Zionism. Uh, You might be interested to know that a number of years ago, I made a trip to Ethiopia. And and the purpose of that trip was to accompany Ethiopians who were making Aliyah to Israel. So I was on the plane with them, you know, I, I, I boarded the plane that night. Uh, it was just a, a very emotional and, and, and fascinating uh, time. And I did that with my friend Yakil Eckstein, Rabbi Yakil Eckstein. Uh, and uh, we had a camera crew and, and all this. And uh, the day before we left, uh, Yakil took me over to the Israeli ambassador to Ethiopia's office, the embassy, the Israeli embassy in, in Addis Ababa. And so we went there, and I went to his office, and you know, met him, and I was sitting on the couch, and on the table was a was a was this uh, this little uh, soft back uh, book that told the story of Israel for four thousand years. So it begins, so it has this timeline. It starts with Abraham and goes to current modern time, and all the major. So you flip the pages. It's it's almost like it was not a cartoon. It wasn't a comic book, but it was kind of like uh, a comic book, but but real pictures with slick pages. At the very beginning, at the very open, I just happened to you know grab it and start flipping through it as we were talking. But what caught my attention was, and and this book was pub. It's a it was a State of Israel publication. This was the official publication of the State of Israel for who the Jewish people have been for the last 4,000 years. And it opens with Dr. King's definition of Zionism. Okay. And and, and let me read, uh, and you tell me if he was a Zionist. (laughs) Okay. How easy it should be to understand and support the right of the Jewish people to live in their ancient land of Israel. All men of goodwill exult in the fulfillment of God's promise that his people should return in joy to rebuild their plundered land. This is Zionism, nothing more and nothing less, unquote. Wow. Yes. That's Dr. King's words. And so when you ask the question, was he a Zionist? And he gave the actual definition of Zionism. And, and, and yes, Dr. King was every bit a Zionist because he supported, 
he he was a staunch supporter of Israel. He gave the very definition of what Zionism was, and he believed it to his core. He did indeed, and and albeit that you didn't read it with his cadence, that was stirring. It, I, mean, I, I hope that other people were really as touched as I was just hearing those words. Thank you for that. Um, you alluded when we at the beginning of our conversation, you alluded to Dr. King's visit uh, before he was thirty to yes. come to Israel. Um, yeah. How did that change? I'm sorry. We'll, 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 we'll check the date, but but early. You're right. It was very early. It was 1959. Um, it was 59. Okay. So Israel was, Israel was, uh, 11 years old. Israel didn't even, uh, alone. Yeah. 11 years old. That's astounding. He came to a, he came to a pre adolescent state of Israel. He went to Jerusalem. We're going to talk about more, by the way, and Jerusalem at that time was controlled by Jordan. Well, the West, the Eastern part, Eastern part. Yes. Uh, This was 1959, right? And so all of Israel, it was not an undivided Jerusalem at that time. Uh, it was, I would argue that it was uh, divided. I know some people say, no, it wasn't divided. It's just uh, Jordan was wherever they were. But my point is that, uh, he, you know, he was, he was, he had just, he was just turning 30. He was yeah. 1959. He was a pastor at the time. He was a pastor. And, uh, and he came and he went, he, he went to um, what we uh, Christians call Calvary or Golgotha. He went to where the place where Jesus Himself was crucified. Now there's a you know there's an argument that you know it's either one of two different places. But Correct. The, I don't know which way place he went. I think he went to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. I think that's where he was. But nonetheless, when he got there, he fell down to his knees and began to weep. Uh, now, most people, when they come to Israel, it's life-changing. Yes. Almost everybody who comes to Israel, it's just life-changing. And for Christians, um, you know, there's a couple of places that are most uh, life-changing for us. Uh, one is the Sea of Galilee, just getting on one of those boats and riding on the Sea of Galilee and realizing, gee, this is not an ocean. This is like a, a big lake you can see across to the other side. Uh, that's one of the first things that astounds people. Uh, Dr. King did some of these things, but he went, and, and, you know, but the place of, of the resurrection would probably be the most moving, arguably the most moving place for any believer to come. And everybody wants to, you know, people want to come see the Sea of Galilee. People want to get baptized in the Jordan River. People want to go. But at the end of the day, everybody wants to go where he rose from the dead. And right. After King went there, uh, there is a, there is still, I, you know, I, I did, Jonathan, um, this year, this year, my wife and I went to the garden tomb and we did, I don't, I don't do like a bunch of live uh, Facebook live things. My wife does that all the time. I don't do that. But I did a Facebook live at the garden tomb and, and I was, I was actually, you know, as I'm walking through showing people. I began, I, I began to tear up and I, yeah. my voice began to crack. And, and the presence of the Lord was so strong upon me uh, that I had to stop and go sit down for a second. And I'm doing this live of, you know, uh, Facebook. <laughs> and, you know, as, as you can only imagine, as a broadcaster, I want to be in control of what's going on. I, you know, <laughs> and, and I was not in control of my own emotions at the time. And, and so my, my point is that most people, when we visit, 
either one of the two uh, tunes, we are overwhelmed uh, with emotion to realize what happened. Dr. King, in his moment, dropped to his knees yeah. and began to weep. Uh, and he t he told that story because when he went back, when he came back home, he preached at his church, and I have a copy of that sermon uh, that he he preached, uh, having just been just had just. As a matter of fact, it was he preached the uh, Easter Sunday morning service at his wow. church. Wow! Just come back from Israel. Wow! So it was so fresh to him, and as he's talking, as his thirty year old pastor. Uh, about his experience in Jerusalem, uh, you can only imagine uh, how that was for the audience, uh, with his emotion and with his with his preaching style, and and uh, and so again, I have the written version of what he said. But my point is that uh, it it was life changing for him. It was life changing right. for him. Right. As a as a as a young as a, and and as a young man who I'm glad you pointed out his age because. We might still call him today. We might still call him a millennial. Um, no, absolutely. He was absolutely a millennial. <laughs> he was incredible. Yep. Incredible. So, so I, I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Um, I, I'd actually love to read what he, what he preached that day. Um, but I want to talk with you about a little bit about the, his second most famous speech, the, what referred to as the mountaintop speech delivered in Memphis at the headquarters of Church and God in Christ. Um, the day before he was murdered. Uh, and, and there are many extraordinary things about that speech. Um, e even to this, it's, it's not just my observation. I've read that people observe that he's almost prophesying his own death the yep. next day. Um, but it was clear that Israel, biblical and modern Israel, was significant to him. He's mentioning that in Memphis, talking about a sanitation workers strike. It was a long speech. It's an incredible speech. It's, it's worth listening to the entirety of it on so many levels. But I'd like just to take two quick segments from the end of it yeah. to listen to now and then come back and, and have a conversation about those. So okay. let's, let's, let's listen. I remember when Mrs. King and I were first in Jerusalem. We rented a car and drove from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And as soon as we got on that road, I said to my wife, I can see why Jesus used this as the setting for his parable. It's a winding, meandering road. It's really conducive for ambushing. You start out in Jerusalem, which is about 1,200 miles, or rather 1,200 feet above sea level. And by the time you get down to Jericho, 15 or 20 minutes later, you are about 2,200 feet below sea level. That's a dangerous road. In the days of Jesus, it came to be known as the bloody pass. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. 
I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know the night that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Okay, so again, always hearing him, it's extraordinary. But hearing him in the context of we, uh, our conversation, I'm, I'm getting chills thinking about it, really. He, he had that privilege to be here as a young man. And the day before he was assassinated, he's talking about Israel. He talks about his drive from Jerusalem to Jericho in, that, in the first segment of, of, of the comment. Um, and, and before maybe before we get into the last, which is what people know, people the, the segment that people hear, what do we hear in that, in that segment when he's talking about driving with Mrs. King from Jerusalem to Jericho and, and the road being narrow and telling us, uh, him telling a parable about yeah. Jesus? Yeah. Well, it, it, you know, he, he, first of all, made it clear that he was here in Israel. Right. Most people don't know. And so uh, that's the first takeaway that he was not only in Israel, he was in Jerusalem and he rented a car. He said he rented a car and he and his wife, Coretta, he drove from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Now, he had the the uh, uh, the elevation kind of backwards. He, he Correct. A little bit backwards. But, you know, he but the point is that he was in uh, Israel. Now, Jonathan, let me let me digress for a second, because the context of of the these comments to me was even more uh, astounding and important i mean the, the substance of what he said of course is ultimately the, the 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 point but um he was in as you mentioned memphis for a sanitation workers strike he was not coming there to speak to the church of god in christ he was not scheduled to speak to us uh and as a matter of fact during we have we have two major meetings every year. One is our convocation, uh, which is in November, and then one is what we call our April call, which right. is a business meeting at the beginning of April. This was April call. There is no preaching. There is no choir singing. Uh, it's a business meeting. Okay, three days discussing the budget of the church. That's where we have elections. That's where you know. So all the business of the church takes place at April call, and. He was in town, and uh, and uh, because and so we have thousands of people come and meet. And because he was in town, someone had the idea of him coming and just bringing a greeting, just coming and saying hello at April call. Well, he was at the Lorraine Hotel, and and it was a raining uh, evening, and he was not feeling well. He was actually sick, and and he didn't want to come over, and so he sent Ralph Abernathy and a 27-year-old Jesse Jackson. Uh, who was one of his young associates. And he sent these two men to bring greetings on his behalf. They got to Mason Temple, and when they got there and saw the thousands of people, uh, Abernathy said, there's no way that I'm going to get up there. And, and <laughs> so they get on the phone, they call him back in the hotel, and, and he says, Doc, 
you have to come over. They do not want to hear from me. You just got to come over and say something to them. And so, uh, wow. so Kojic sends a car to pick him up. He, 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 they, it, so the, and, and the, by the way, the driver became a bishop years later and he tells his part of the story. So when he picks him up and brings him uh, on this rainy night, Dr. King did not have a speech prepared. And that's important right. to understand that he was speaking extemporaneously and he yes. just needs to yes. bring greetings. Okay. And so when he stands up, by the way, as you mentioned, it, he ended up, you can, you can, anybody can Google it and listen on YouTube now. It's a 42 minute speech. The whole speech is 42 minutes. What most people hear is that last, that last clip, which was Correct. a conclusion. Uh, but you should listen to the whole thing because it's a rambling speech. He, he is not, like he doesn't even have a point. He didn't have a title. He didn't have a point. Uh, he just came to bring greetings and say hello. Remember, he wasn't feeling well. And, and so as he's speaking, he's going from this point to the other and he's literally just rambling until he gets to this biblical, uh, uh text about oh. the, the, uh, 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 the, uh, good Samaritan, as we would call yes. it. Yes. Yes. So he saw the opportunity to, to, to say that the good Samaritan, the whole point of the good Samaritan is that we have an obligation and responsibility to care for people who are, you know, like this guy, he was, he was beat up on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was left on the side of the road. He talked about that road and that's how he got into that. He yes. says, I know why, now I know why Jesus used this parable. Correct. Uh, because it was a, you know, and so he goes into talking about how it's a meandering road and how bandits can come from the side and beat up this guy. And, uh, and so within that context, he says, you know, I drove down that road, so I know what that road was. Otherwise, he'd have never mentioned it. He would have never mentioned it. But he was talking about how we have a responsibility to help people who, like the Samaritan, help the man who was beaten and left on the side of the road. And in the parable, the, the priest walked by him and left him. The, the Pharisee walked by him and left him. And so he talked about why would they leave? Why would they not? And he says, well, maybe some of them had an important business meeting to get to. And so he, <laughs> he goes into So it's, that's why people should really listen to the whole, whole song. Well, I'm going to put the whole, I'm going to put a link to that here in the, in the notes so people can just click on it. Fantastic. And, uh, yeah. Fantastic. It is, but it is important. Is, yeah. But my point is that when he got to his being in Jerusalem, it was just kind of a sidebar a comment that he made that, you know, uh, you know, I rent a car and I drove down the same road. Otherwise, we would have not had any. No we would have not known that he was in Israel, that he himself had come to Israel. Wow. We would, it would have been a lot of arguments. People would have said, no, he didn't come. No, he was he was in Palestine. No, he himself, in his own words, said, I was in Jerusalem and yep. I drove to Jericho. And that to me is so important. So and then, you know, that was the context of. I've been to the mountaintop. Yes, and, that, and, and the promised land. Right, and 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 that and that's the probably. Although the, if you when you listen to the whole speech, there are many parts that are stirring. But 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 this ex, extraordinary. I'm so glad you mentioned that it was extemporaneous because if you watch a video of it, you see he's not referring. There are no notes. I didn't know that about him not feeling well or coming over at the last minute. That yeah. just shows what an incredible orator. But his the, the conclusion that last clip that we just heard and I want to I want to just kind of reduce the, the 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 screen and look he he says 
we've got some difficult days ahead. He's speaking about he's speaking about the the um, the sanitation strike. But yes. then he says, it doesn't matter to me now because I've been to the mountaintop. And he's clearly speaking about is Jerusalem, the right. mountaintop. Definitely. And I don't mind like anyone. I'd like to have a long life. But he's now talking metaphorically. He's he, so brilliantly how Dr. King and only Dr. King could have taken. I've been there. I've seen there. And then he comes back and says, I've looked. Uh, uh, he's allowed me to go to the, to, to the mountain. He, he And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. Yes. And he says, but then again, he pivots because he says, I may not get there with you because now that's he's he's jumping ahead as yep. to the conclusion of the civil rights movement. This is yes. how I hear it. But then he says, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people, I'm getting stirred just rereading it. Yep. We will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the Lord, the glory of the coming of the Lord. That is such, I mean, other than stirring, which, which it is, it's, it's, it's such an incredible mixture of, yeah, Israel, Israel's the center. And I've been there and I've seen it and God let me saw it like Moses. Yes. Although, although Dr. King came into the land, Moses didn't even get to see the land. And then he's using that metaphorically, which is so important now on the, on, on, as we se- truly celebrate his birth and his life this week, but we should be celebrating it all the time to underscore as you've done so, so articulately tonight, today, how central Israel, biblical and modern was to Dr. King. Uh, I, I'd like to wrap up and talk about you a little bit and what you're doing here kind of as a successor. But before right, we but, do, but, is, yeah, but, I, I want to ask you, what are, what are we missing? What needs to be covered still? Well, yes, because you use the word metaphor, he, that he spoke metaphorically, and that's what many black American leaders today say about the mountaintop, uh, comment, that that was a metaphor. He was not talking literally about Israel. He was not talking literally about, you know, uh, we as a people will get to the promised land. He, he was talking metaphorically, and I challenge that. Okay. wholeheartedly and full throat. No, he was not talking metaphorically. He was talking prophetically. Prophetically, uh, thank you. And there's thank a difference. You. There's a difference thank between you. a metaphor and a prophecy. He was talking prophetically when he said, we as a people will get to the promised land. I, I, I'm sure he wasn't talking about, we'll get to live in the suburbs with two cars and, a, and an attached garage. Uh, he's not talking about, well, we'll move up north because we had already been up north. Uh, that's not the promised land. Where is the promised land? The promised land is not a metaphoric place. The promised land is not a metaphoric utopia. The promised land is a literal land of promise that God wow. promised to the Jewish people. The promised land is, 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 is the land of Israel. This is not a metaphor. This is a real place that he had his, he, he not only walked this, but when he got to Jericho, as you know, you look across uh, uh, the, the Dead Sea and you see the, the mountains of Moab and you can yes. see the, the place where Moses himself stood uh, yes. on, on, the, on Mount Nebo and he looked across and he saw the promised land. And because Dr. King felt a sort of a, a Moses or Mosaic lifestyle that he was 
uh, leading his people out of a place of, of, of bondage and into a place of, of, uh, of, of freedom, um, maybe that could have been metaphoric as he saw himself, but not metaphoric as Thank he you. saw Israel. Israel Thank you. And, and as he saw black America, because he said, we as a people. Now, remember, he's looking at an audience of thousands of black Americans, just happened to be the Kojic people, but thousands of black Americans who by this point, he, it was a crescendo. Uh, if you listen to it, I mean, he's now in his, in his rhythmic, um, uh, you know, Dr. Uh, King, uh, yeah. Cadence, okay. And, and these people are shouting as we do when the preacher is reading, reaching his point. And they're shouting and he's, he's saying, but we as a people will get to the promised land. In his mind, we know he was thinking about Israel because he told us he was thinking about Jerusalem. Wow. And so it's not metaphoric. It was prophetic. And so here we are now, you and me, uh, 50 odd, what, 50, almost 60, 58 years. No, let me see. 51, 52 years later. Right. Three years later, whatever it is. Uh, we're, we're, we're over 50 some years later and, and my wife and I are here in the promise. Uh-huh. That's right. And, and, and this is not a metaphor. I'm not metaphorically here, Jonathan. I'm like here. Like, no, oh. no, you're physically here. And I'm so glad that you said that because, because, I, it can come across immodest, but first of all, thank you for correcting me on that. No, no, no. I wasn't uh, correcting I, I, you. I was really correcting what I think is an accepted uh, uh, explanation for the mountaintop speech that it was a metaphor. And I've heard people, people say that, but it wasn't a metaphor. You're right. And, and it was prophetic. And, and, and yet, and what I heard you say is that people will call it metaphoric, perhaps to diminish the fact that he was not talking about Israel, that Israel was not significant to him. Exactly. And, and, and to the extent that it was prophetic, he not only, um, and again, you can argue that you can read, listen to the speech, you can read the, the text, you can argue that he was prophesying his own, his own death the next day, which, which is terribly sad, but, but, Okay, that happened, but he, but to that extent, he was prophesying you being here, you yourself, Bishop Glenn Plummer, being here because you're that anchor. No one has ever done this, what you are here to do to connect the black church with Israel since that day. Well, I, I think he was prophesying black Americans because we uniquely, God has positioned us uniquely in the earth. We're not black Nigerians. We're not black Brazilians. We're not black Caribbeans. We're not black Ethiopians. We're black Americans. And we have in our DNA, uh, uh, slavery. And, and, and there's something very unique that we have to offer and to connect with Israelis and to connect with the Jewish people that other people may not be able to either articulate, uh, uh, uh best or, or to explain. And so, although I appreciate you saying he prophesied, uh, my wife and I, you know, we represent black America. Yes. I specifically represent, you know, millions of, of black Americans from our church. I mean, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm the official representative of that. But, you know, we represent really black America. And I think that he saw in the future uh, uh, the, the value of Israel. And, and I think when he came here, he had to see 
that they built this, even in 1959, Israel was still building and it was still, it wasn't what it is today, but it certainly wasn't what it was, uh, you know, decades before that, that Israel was building Correct. in the desert, uh, this, this, this beautiful country of Israel. And he saw that right. and he wanted to, I'm sure, want his people, his children and his children's children to be able to see what does it look like for a people who came out of slavery to build in freedom their own land what does it look like for the people of god to 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 come to a land and to uh uh, uh, uh glorify the god of israel and to uh, build here this 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 place is not just the place of the jewish people it's the center right. of Christianity. It's the birthplace of Christianity. It's the birthplace. And as you said, he fell on his face in, presumably in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and had that profound spiritual moment as yeah. you did, uh, unexpectedly at the, at the garden tomb, yeah. not falling on your face, but, but overcome with, with the emotion of that. And, right. and I, and that's, that was my point, not you. Bishop Glenn and Dr. Ruth Pauline Hummer being here, but you're the anchors. And that's why, and, and it's a great segue to talk for briefly, but I, you know, it's too much to go We're into out of time, the depth. Jonathan. We're out of time. We're I out of time. Now I know that. So I want to cover briefly and I want to use this as an opportunity to extend an invitation to have you back and talk about really what's the, you know, the bigger vision and, and, and begin to share that. But, but let just, I, I remember, if I remember correctly, you, you've spoken about three main pillars of your ministry here now as yes. bishop here of Israel, building building bridges between the black church and Israel. With the you, You've mentioned, and I'm dying, I, I, I spent many years in the South, um, but I'm dying to, to go on the black history tour of the U.S. that you've spoken about, yes. uh, the, the, the significance of the media. Bridge, a two-way bridge. Two-way two bridge. It has to be a two-way bridge. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. One-way bridges don't get you very far you know jonathan we'll, we'll we'll come back and talk about it but let me let me close my comments by saying there's a there's a passage of scripture that king solomon wrote i think in ecclesiastes and he said that a a living dog is more effective or better than a than a dead lion uh what he's really you know dr king was a lion he was a lion uh uh but he's dead and there's nothing more he can do or say if if I were to compare myself, I'm a dog compared to okay okay, but I'm alive, and as a living dog, as Solomon would say, there's some things I can still do that the dead lion cannot do. Right, he can speak from the grave with his words that he said then, but I can do things. I can I can I can I can see that Black Americans get on a plane and come here and experience Israel themselves. Yes, I can target millennials and I can challenge them and teach them to create new content, new documentaries, new films, uh, use new techniques, new technologies to reach their generation for Israel. I can still do that. I can still uh, uh, build an, an an institute here. I may be a dog, but I'm still alive, and I'm a living dog, and I can do that, whereas a dead lion can't. And so there's things that we can still do today, and that's what I'm here to do. Well, you know, not not rhetorically, that was tremendously stirring, and I'm so glad you brought in 
as 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 it doesn't surprise me, the scripture as as, as a metaphor, uh, which I'll use the the proper the proper context yeah. here. Um, and, and, and we we are out of time to continue to have this conversation now about all of all of the things that you as a living dog and into, you, there wouldn't be too many contexts that one would take that as a compliment. But I understand where you, that point and I, and I do want to have you back because because what you're doing here and the significance for us as Israeli Jews and for for bl- the black church and black America and I believe Jews in the diaspora is significant. And I know it personally, but I, I, I will attest to the fact that you're a blessing here and we're grateful. Um, la- last word. What would you say to people who are listening here now, whether, whether members of Kojic or another denomination from in, in the black church and who have an understanding about what you're saying, but never really thought about it and don't have a history of putting together Israel as being significant in their faith. What, what, what would be your parting word to them? If you, not on behalf of Dr. King, but on, but, but as the living dog that you, that you are taking that baton. It is our day. It is our time. And, you know, just like, uh, in the scripture, uh, the great woman, the great Jewish woman, uh, Esther said uh, about her, uh, I think it was Mordecai actually said it, that you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And I think that we have come to the kingdom for such a time as this, to bless Israel on a level that Israel has not been blessed before, by a people that Israel has not been blessed by before. We can, we're Americans, and as Americans, we have, you know, it was Obama. Even though Israel doesn't like Obama a lot, uh, he, he, he gave to Israel uh, the Iron Dome uh, missiles, okay? And so we as Americans provide military support to Israel. And we stand with Israel militarily. We stand with Israel in its dem- democratic pursuits. We stand with Israel in a spiritual way. It is our time. And that's what I would say to black America. That's what I'd say to the black church. It is our time. And so let us stand uh, arm in arm with Israel and the Jewish people. Let us pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Let us uh, bless Israel as God has said. You know why? Because as Dr. King found out, because he chose to bless Israel, his people got blessed even though he, he wasn't alive to see it. I'm saying, let us bless Israel in our generation so that our children's children will have the blessing of God because he, God, obligated himself to bless those who bless Israel. And we bless Israel. We speak highly of Israel. We choose to, to stand with Israel. And by the way, Jonathan, that does not mean that we stand against anybody else. We stand Correct. with Israel. Okay? Correct. We, we also love Palestinian people. Right. Now, we don't love Hamas. Okay, we condemn Hamas, uh, but as it relates to to Palestinian people, as it relates to you know Harry Krishna people, as it relates to a- atheists for that matter, we st- we love people. But in Israel's case, we specifically stand with Israel, and it is our time, and we will do what God has uh, ordained and anointed us to do by the grace of God. Thank Amen. you. Amen. 
Uh, you know, I, I, as an or you know this, you know me as an Orthodox Jew, I have many, many pastors and I, friends and who I who I'm proud to call my pastor. But I'm actually you're 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 the first one, the only one who who I'm proud to call my bishop. Oh, Not just where you are geographically, but on all those levels. Um, bishop Glenn Plummer, this is a delight. Thank you for joining me today to honor Dr. King and his legacy and his memory. And, and, and we will pick up the conversation. Um, let me also conclude this uh, episode, this so important episode, by thanking some of our sponsors. First of all, our friends at the Willow Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia. If you're here, if you're in the area and need something that a uh, that a greenhouse has, please go in and get it from them. And if you're in the area and don't need anything, just go give them a hug and thank them for sponsoring uh, this this program, Inspiration from Zion, and, and helping make uh, incredible conversations like this possible. And also thanks to the Coyne family for their meaning, meaningful and ongoing sponsorship of this program. Inspiration from Zion and all the Genesis 123 Foundation programs are made possible by donations. So please consider joining us to help continue the dialogue and build bridges. Um, Bishop Plummer, I didn't mention at the outset, but we have a, an anonymous sponsor of this episode, a Jewish friend of mine who doesn't want his name recognized, but he thought he, he's a fan and a fan and, and, and thought it was so important that Jewish people get the message out about Dr. King. So I'm privileged that this episode is, is anonymously sponsored. But so we can so, so that we can do that uh, for anyone who would like to sponsor future episodes in honor or memory of a loved one or a special occasion. Please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com. We'd always love to hear your comments as part of a dialogue and invite you to send any questions as well, especially questions you have about Judaism for our Ask the Rabbi program. Please share this with others whom you know will also find it of interest and continue to join us right here as we bring you more meaningful conversations about unique topics relating to Israel that you won't hear anywhere else, wherever you are in the world. I pray that you and your loved ones are safe and healthy and send my blessings from right here in the Judean mountains. God bless you.